I am the bridge and hot off the presses. We have sold out of some of our shirts, but we've got a new shipment in. So if you're interested in wanting an I am the bridge t-shirt, it's a pretty cool shirt, man. I like it. Got a little bridge logo on the back. But anyway, we've got some of these available for you if you were not able to get one on the first go round. We also have some hats. I am the bridge hats. If you'd like one of these, grab one of these again out there at the VIP place. Pick those up and grab those on your way out today. And thank you so much for supporting us with that. Uh, again, we're just basically giving them to you at cost. And uh, so we make nothing on them at all. Don't want to make anything. And uh, I wish we could give everybody in the house a t-shirt. Amen. Yes, I do. Turn to somebody and say, hold on, it's coming. Hold on, it's coming. It's going to happen. Amen. It's going to happen. But we are continuing our series today called I Am The Bridge. Turn to somebody and say, I am the bridge. I am the bridge. I am the bridge. And a lot of times you may say, well, that's really dealing with the building. Not so, because we've been talking about the church, the ecclesia over the past few weeks. And the church, it's not brick and mortar. It's not metal. It's not sheetrock. The church is you and I. We are the church and we are the bridge, so to speak, to bridge people to Jesus Christ. So we are the bridge to the homeless. We're the bridge to the hurting. We are the bridge to those that are in need of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We are the bridge to the fatherless. We are the bridge to racial reconciliation. All of these things, we are the bridge. We are the church. Come on, somebody. The church has left the building. And so we've been talking about that over the past few weeks. And I want to continue in our series today. And I want to talk about how we can be a bridge to the poor. So let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being in the house today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity, Lord, just to be here and opening up our hearts to hear from you and what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Buckle up. Turn to the other one and say, Get ready. Amen. Guys, how many of you are excited about fall? Come on, anybody in the house love fall? Any fall lovers in the house? How many of you know we're in fall? I love fall. I love the, the changing of the leaves and the colors, and I love the cool weather. Come on, anybody like the cool weather? Amen. Just, just go out, kind of wrap up my little Snuggie or something, drink a little coffee. You know, I love that. But my favorite thing about the fall is the smells. Come on, anybody have any favorite fall smells in the house? Because really think about it. I mean, fall encompasses Thanksgiving. Come on, a lot of smells of Thanksgiving. It also leads you right almost all the way up to Christmas. And of course, it changes over right before. So you've got the decorations. You've got all the smells, the Christmas trees. You've got all of this stuff. I love the fall because of the smells. Let me ask you a question. What is your favorite fall smell? What is your favorite fall smell? You know, in preparation for the message today, I did a little smell trivia, if you will. Found out some interesting things about smell. For instance, did you know that women smell things better than men? 
Come on, how many many of you realize that? Women smell things better than men. A woman can walk into a place like, whew, what is that smell? The man's like, well, it smells good to me. You know, what up? So women smell things better than men. Did you know that you actually smell with your brain and not your nose? I thought that was a pretty interesting fact there. You smell with your brain and not your nose. So with that, a good smell can make you happier. It affects your mood. And a bad smell, come on, you know, that can affect your mood as well. They say this, that there's nothing that can override or zing your brain, if you will, like a smell. I mean, think about it. You could be doing something, going somewhere. You're focused on something. Could be you're focused on work, resources, relationships, whatever it may be. And you can smell something, and that smell will knock you totally off track. I thought this was an interesting fact. It's, it's said, this is true, that when a woman smells great, when, when a woman smells really good, like, like a grapefruit smell or a floral smell, when a woman smells like grapefruit or smells floral, a man perceives her as six years younger or eight pounds lighter. Come on, some of y'all women talking about, I'm going to me some grapefruit today, losing 30 pounds by Christmas, amen? That's a fact, that's true. The number one way you can call up your childhood memories is through smell. And so, you know, I was thinking about some of my favorite fall smells. I brought some for you today. Come on, how many of you go to uh, Dwayne's, get them little pine cones, got that, whoo, come on somebody, got that little scent in the pine cone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody go there and get you some pine cone? Oh, help me, Jesus. I could just smell this all day talking to y'all. Mmm, I love that smell. Come on, I got my pumpkin candle in the house today. Anybody like pumpkin? Mm, Jesus, boy, I felt the Holy Ghost right there. Pumpkin smell. Here's another one of my favorite smells. This is Christmas tree smell. Look, just Christmas tree all right there. Just There it is. Don't run up here and smell it. Just, just a favorite smell of mine, just that Christmas smell. Come on, cinnamon, somebody. Mmm. 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 Cinnamon. Anybody like the smell of cinnamon in the house today? Got some cinnamon? Come on. Fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Holla at me. Come on, holla at me in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, when we get to October, every night we baking cookies. Amen. Just, just walk in the door, smell like Betty Crocker just camped out in your house. I just love these cookies. I'm going to give like one away and then the rest of them will go home with me. But anyway, chocolate chip cookies. And then my ultimate is pumpkin spice latte. Mm, Jesus. Anybody like some pumpkin spice latte? My wife tells me all the time, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a coffee drinker. I'm a frou-frou coffee drinker. So I, I like the frou-frou stuff. I like the lattes and a lot of creamer and all of that. But again, what is your favorite smell? For some of you, maybe some of this is your favorite smell. But I find it interesting because there's a story in the scripture that actually tells us what it smells like when God is first in our life. John chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 5, and then we're going to skip down and look at verse 7 and 8. John chapter 12, starting at verse 3, 
It says, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Watch the wording here. The house was filled with the fragrance. The house was filled with the fragrance. Everyone in the house recognized this this scent, this, this thing that was happening. Everyone in the room was overtaken by the smell of Mary's worship when she was falling at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's where we are. We are the bridge and the church has left the building. The church has left the building and you've got the fragrance, the smell of God on your life, in you, working through you. So every atmosphere you come into, whether it's your job, whether it's your school, whether it's at home, whether it's at the church, wherever it may be, every atmosphere you step into, there is a fragrance about you, there is a worship about you that should change the environment. Why? Because you are a bridge to something. You're bridging people to Jesus Christ. Christ. Turn to somebody and say, you smell good. You smell good. Let's skip on down to verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said this, the perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus replied, look at these words, leave her alone. In essence, Jesus was saying, hey, that's enough out of you, my man. We don't need to hear anything else. Leave her alone. Why? Because she did this in preparation for my burial. And here's where I want to land today. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You'll always have the poor among you. So the question then becomes, how can we be a bridge to the poor? Let me just give you some statistics about poverty real quick. In our world right now, 800 million people live in abject poverty. That's the poorest of the poor. 70 million people are on the threshold of starvation every single day. Half of the children of the absolute poor, they say, will never see their fifth birthday. 125 million infant deaths take place every single week around the world. Most of them are preventable with simple care or hygiene. So clean water, clean food, roof over their head, clothes on their back. This can be prevented. The average person in the poorest third of the world earns $300 a year. $300 a year. So we live in this world and we're looking around the world we live in and we realize that we're living with the haves and the have-nots. But how many of you know that poverty has many faces? Poverty shows up in many different ways. Poverty could be the homeless guy on the street corner. It can be the AIDS and HIV victim in Africa, but it can also be your next door neighbor. Why? Because poverty is not necessarily about stuff. It's not about material things. And a lot of times when we think about poverty, we think it's all about material possessions. But listen, you can have a whole lot of stuff and be poor in your spirit. You can have a poverty mentality. You can live in the land of abundance and still have a mentality of lack. 
The fact is, there are several people in the world today, they are extremely wealthy, but they are bankrupt in their relationships. They're bankrupt in their marriages. They are estranged from their kids because they have sacrificed certain areas of their lives for the almighty dollar. And I tell you that they are poor in purpose. Poor in purpose. When you look at the word poor, even in the Greek, it literally means one who crouches or one who cowers. It's the individual that feels no worth, the individual that feels beat down in life. And yet the scripture says that we have an opportunity to share the good news, the gospel. We have an opportunity to be a bridge to the poor. You understand that the gospel, the good news, it's for the down and out. The gospel is for the up and out. The gospel is for those who hadn't figured it out. The gospel is for everyone. It crosses every social economic divide. There is no boundary to contain the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So the question comes in, how can we be a bridge to the poor? And then there's also the question of why. So we've got the how and we've got the why. Why is it important that we become a bridge to the poor? And how can we become a bridge to the poor? Let's start with the why first. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Why is it important to be a bridge to the poor? Here's number one. Because Jesus identifies with the poor. Jesus identifies with the poor. There was a man by the name of Father Damien. He was a a Catholic priest who was famous for working with lepers. He was born in 1840 in Belgium and he sailed for a small village on the Pacific Island with the specific purpose of serving lepers. He stepped out of the comfort of his home, the riches of his home. He had an extremely well life where he was at, but he stepped out of all of that to step on a small island with the specific purpose for serving the lepers. And so he was there and he went there and and for 16 years he lived among them. He spoke their language, he bandaged their wounds, he built their homes, he organized their schools. He himself alone built over 2,000 coffins to bury these lepers so they could be buried with dignity. He was their carpenter, he was their doctor, he was their priest and their friend. And soon the village became known, not as a village for dying, but as a village for living. But Father Damien was not careful about being in close contact with the lepers. In fact, he was too close, but yet they loved him for it. And so one day Father Damien stood up and he started out his sermon with these two words. He said, we lepers. See, he was no longer just trying to help them. He was one of them. He wasn't just on their island, he was in their skin. He would live as they live and eventually die as they died. And I begin to think about Jesus and how he left the riches of glory in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So you understand right there, Jesus left the riches of heaven and stepped into the poverty of this world. I want you to consider the circumstances that Jesus stepped into. Jesus was born to parents who basically were peasants. I mean, think about it. Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was a teenager. They had no resources. 
Jesus wasn't born in a woman's hospital. There was no nurses checking his vitals every 30 minutes. He didn't receive any hot meals from the cafeteria. No, Jesus was born in a barn with animals. And consider the community that he grew up in, Nazareth. I mean, people would constantly tell him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus identified himself with the poor. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, here's what Jesus said. He says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has what? No place to even lay his head. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was born homeless? And we don't necessarily think in those terms when we talk about our Lord, but, but I am so grateful that God Almighty would leave the riches and the glory of heaven and step into the brokenness and poverty of this world. And see, it's one thing to talk about the poor. It's one thing to pray about the poor, but it's another thing to step into poverty. And yet that's what Jesus did. And Jesus says, hey, what I'm doing for you, I want you to turn around and do for them. To be that bridge to the poor. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, here's, here's what God says. He says, hey, if you'll help the poor, it's just like you're lending to the Lord and He will repay you. So when, when, when you give to the poor, it's like you're lending to the Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute, man. I thought it was about that poor person. No, Jesus said, when you've done to the least of these, it's like you're doing unto me. And so when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And God said, hey, I'll repay you. So when you go out and you feed those that are hungry and you clothe those that are naked and you help those that are hopeless and have no help, you say, man, I thought it was about the people. But Jesus said, no, they were just disguised as me. Why? Because when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And God said, hey, I'll repay you. How many of you grew up in a home where your parents taught you that when you borrow something, you always return it in better condition than what you got it? Anybody ever taught that? Come on, how many of you wished your parents would have taught a lot more people that? Come on, that guy coming across the street wanting to borrow your weed eater, and you sitting there thinking, man, there's one or two things going to happen. I'm either never going to see this thing again, or he's going to return it like it's broke like no joke. Amen? And so that's it. And so we think of that. God says, wait a minute. When you give to the poor, he says, it's just like you're lending to me. And God said, I'll repay you. So in other words, when you give it out, God says, I'm going to bring it back. And when I bring it back, it's going to be better in quality, better in character, and better in kind. Why? Because Jesus identifies with the poor. And if that's true, if Jesus himself associates and identifies with the poor, he cares for the poor, then that leads us to number two, then we can't ignore the needs of the poor. We can't ignore the needs of the poor. And to our own detriment, sometimes we'll overlook the poor. And when we do that, we miss an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be advanced in the world. Why is it that sometimes the poor can become almost invisible? Why is it that we can live in such a world full of hurt and poverty, and yet it could be right on our front doorstep and we overlook it and we miss it? Listen, you don't have to go to Africa to serve an orphan. You can just ride down the streets of your own town, your own city. You can see poverty all around. And it's interesting because there's, there's a warning to, to overlooking things. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 21 verse 13. 
It says, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Come on, how many of you want God to be available in your time of need? We want God to show up. When, then, then if that's the case, we have to make ourselves available when the poor has a need. I know when I'm suffering, when I'm going through stuff, man, when I call on the name of Jesus, look, I don't want him to delay. I want him right there at attention. I want him showing up right then. Come on, how many of you like that? When I'm suffering, I need him there. And God says, hey, what I do for you, I want you to go and do for them. Proverbs 3 verse 27 says, Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. I love the wording there. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Think about that. Your hand becomes the very hand of God when you help someone and serve someone in need. I wonder how many people have come in here this weekend. How many people in our community right now have been praying for a miracle? How many people come in here and they've been praying all week long, God, I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay my light bill. I don't know how I'm going to pay my water bill. I don't, go, I don't know how I'm going to make that doctor's visit. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Listen, when we serve in compassion, we become the bridge to the prayers that people have been praying. The Bible is littered with scriptures that remind us of our responsibility that the world that God has placed us in. That we can literally be the bridge to the problems that plague our community. And so Jesus identifies himself with the poor and so therefore we have a responsibility to not ignore the needs of people that we see that are hurting, that are homeless, that are hungry, that are naked. We have a responsibility to meet that needs. Listen, when your heart is to God, your hand is to man. When your heart is to God, your hand is to man. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, man, I'm just one person. I mean, 800 million people. I mean, that's almost overwhelming to think about. I'm just one person. What can I do? And man, listen, I get it. I was up early this morning praying for our country, praying for our community, praying for the town, praying for those that are in need. And I get that overwhelming sense that you come that comes on you. But listen to you. Let me encourage you with this right here. If you will do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, then God's kingdom will be advanced. Do for one what you wish you can do for everyone. And sometimes we don't do anything because we're overwhelmed by the needs that we see all around us. But listen, if you'll start where you are, use what you have and do what you can, you can serve one person and change the whole atmosphere of the environment they're in. When we see a need and able to meet that need, God's kingdom is advanced. But let me just say this to you. Loving people means caring without an agenda. Loving people means caring without an agenda. The moment you have an agenda, it's no longer love. So what are we as a church? What are we going to do? We're going to give with no strings attached. We're going to serve with no strings attached. We're going to feed people with no strings attached. Why? Because I believe that God will bless the church who puts a priority on the poor. So again, why is this so important? Because Jesus identifies with the poor and we can't ignore the needs of the poor. But let's shift gears real quick and let's look at the how. How can we be a bridge to the poor? Let me give you two things real quick. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. Just write the word how beside it. We are called to serve others, not save others. 
Man, I am giving you guys some bombs like right now. In my mind, I picture you guys like running laps, running the back of the chairs. It's all good. Just, just sit there. So anyway, we're called to serve others, not save others. It's dangerous to think that you and you alone are someone's answer. That's a dangerous place to live and a dangerous place to live. Jesus is the answer. We are the servants. We are the conduit to his power, if you will. So we don't save people. We serve people. We are a bridge to people and Jesus saves them. So how does Jesus want us to serve the people and help the people? Let me give you two thoughts, two words real quick. You might want to write these down. The first one is relief. The second one is restoration. Relief and restoration. And we offer both of them. Now these words are totally different, but there is some some meaning that both of them have. But let me just describe to you what they are. What is relief? Relief is immediate temporary help during a crisis. Relief is immediate help, but it's temporary. It's only going to last during the crisis, maybe even some after the crisis. So for instance, a tornado comes through and tears up a neighborhood. A hurricane comes through and tears up a city. Let's personalize it. Someone in your family loses their job. A relative discovers that they've got a terminal disease. Someone gets in a car accident and they're in really bad shape. What do we as the church do? We come in and offer relief. And we do this all the time. The hurricane that came through a couple years ago, our teenagers all loaded up and we put them to work. They went into houses and they were tearing out flooded homes and tearing out sheetrock and carpet and we were offering relief to the people. There's not a day that goes by, there's not a month that goes by where we're not out here helping people that are hungry. We help give food. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. We serve Thanksgiving meals every single year. May be a little different this year, but we're still going to give out Thanksgiving meals. Every single year we give Christmas presents to kids that, that are in need and families that are in need. We offer relief to people all around us. And that's good. But then... There's restoration. And here's where most of us get it wrong. We're good at offering relief. It makes us feel good for a moment. It scratches the itch we have just to be Jesus. And we offer relief and we help people. But how many of you know, Granddaddy used to say, Hey, if you teach a man to fish, he can feed his own self. Anybody ever heard that statement? So the church is really good at offering relief, but not so good at offering restoration. What's restoration? Restoration is a long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness in a person's life. It's long-term. So that tornado hits, that hurricane hits, and there's all the news attention, and you got all these media outlets in there, and they're all about it. Well, five days later, guess what? They're gone. They're gone. And the people are still there, and they're still in need, and they're still hurting, and they still need some help. So you know what the church's job is? The church's job is that when everybody else leaves, the church stays. We're still there. We're still rebuilding homes. We're still rebuilding lives. We're still putting people's lives back together. And every single month we do this, there's a mission trip that we go on every year called the Kentucky Mission Trip. Been going there for 15 years. 15 years the bridge has been in Kentucky. And not only are we offering relief, but there's restoration. 
restoration. Because every year when we go back, we see people's lives who have been impacted because of what we've done. And you build relationships with these people. And you walk through life with these people. And they send you prayer requests throughout the year. And you pray for these people. And you love on these people. Two years ago, Pastor Andy Stovall, you guys know him. He's been here and preached before. He was helping to rebuild a deck on the back of somebody's house for a husband and a wife. Well, they weren't in church, and all of a sudden, the husband and Andy get to talking with a guy who receives Christ right there on the back deck. So you keep going back year after year, and guess what? Now this guy's whole family's in church. Now he's living for the Lord. Now there's the restoration process, bringing wholeness and healing to this guy's life. Not only that, there's several stories, but let's talk about Belize. Let's talk about the Belize. We support them on a monthly basis. Been going to Belize for nine years. Belize, you go over there. And we went over there with the intentions of just doing vacation Bible school and just loving on people and telling them about Jesus and trying to build them a campground and all of that. But now all of a sudden, because it's year after year after year, come on, everybody's gone, but the church is still there. And so now the people in Belize, because they're in Jacklet, now they're going out and telling the whole other villages and the whole place about Jesus Christ and what he's done. Why? Because we offered restoration. Not only that, but we do a prison ministry every week. Every month, I should say, excuse me, every month we go into prisons. And you know, the funny thing is, I was in Rocky Mount several months ago. Matter of fact, it was the latter part of last year, I was in Rocky Mount. Come on, how many of you know where Rocky Mount is? Come on, come on, you got to get out of Joko sometimes. But anyway, I was in Rocky Mount. And you guys know that I was, uh, you know, that I do building inspections and everything kind of on the side. Because I got four kids, Amen. And they stay hungry. Matter of fact, we're probably going to take up an offering to feed hungry kids. Now, they mine, but we're going to take up an offering. Amen. But anyway, so I was there, and I went to a guy's house, and we're talking, and he's trying to start a ministry that actually helps the inmates when they get out early. He gives them a home. He teaches them a trade, helps them get a job, and helps them to get back into society. And I began talking to this guy, and we're talking, and I said, man, tell me, how did this journey start for you? He said, man, you're never going to believe it. He said, I was sitting in, in News Correctional Prison one day. He said, and all of a sudden, this church showed up, and they started preaching. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, man, I developed a relationship with this guy, and I accepted Jesus Christ. I said, man, that is so awesome. What was the church? You know what he said? The bridge. Come on, somebody. I thought that was amazing. Out of all the people I run into, I run into this guy, and I'm like, really? Guess what, man? I'm part of the bridge. So there's restoration. Listen to me. Relief is good. Relief is great. But we got to have restoration as well. And I want you to lean in just for a moment. Guys, this is why next weekend is so important. Next weekend, we take up our offering fit for a king. If you don't have one of these envelopes, walk right out of those double doors after service and get you an envelope before you leave. Next weekend, we have an opportunity to continue to provide not only relief, but restoration. Every one of these ministries I just mentioned to you, Kentucky, Belize, prison ministry, we support every one of them on a monthly basis plus more 
a lot more than that. But those are just the three for the sake of time we highlighted. And next week, we have an opportunity to come together and say, you know what? God, I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to help to make sure that we're going to be a bridge to the poor. We're going to help those that are in need. We're going to put clothes on people's back. We're going to feed people. We're going to offer the relief. But God, we're not going to stop there. We're going to offer the restoration as well and help people to get their lives back together in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. Amen. We're called to serve others, not save others. Jesus saves, we serve. And then lastly, here's the last one. The gospel is our greatest need. How do we serve people? How do we become a bridge to the poor? We have to have the mentality that, hey, we're going to offer relief and restoration. But here's the big one. We have to understand that the gospel in people's lives is the greatest need. Because the gospel really, I mean, simply means good news. Let me ask you a question. What's good news to someone that's hungry? Something to eat. What's good news to a sick child? Medicine. What's good news to a homeless family? Shelter. What's good news to a village with dirty water? A well. But let me ask you this. What good is a full belly but to have an empty soul? What good is it to have a healthy body if you're sick in your spirit? What good is it to have a roof over your head but not have God in your heart and in your life? What good is it to have clean water without the fountain of living water springing up in you? See, the gospel really isn't good news until it reaches you. And it's got to reach you not just in proclamation, but in demonstration. It takes both. Not just in proclamation, but demonstration. What are we doing today? We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is proclamation. But guess what the world needs to see? Demonstration. Demonstration. Let me give you something that's not in your notes. You might want to write this down. Good deeds, goodwill, good news. Good deeds, goodwill, good news. Not only are we proclaiming it, we're going to demonstrate it. How are we going to demonstrate it? We're going to demonstrate it with good deeds. We demonstrate it in good deeds to establish goodwill with the people. Trust with the people so that you can present to them the good news. Good deeds, goodwill, good news. We don't just need to say it. We need to demonstrate it. Every single week, we have an opportunity to go out and be a bridge to the poor. Please hear me. Being poor is not just necessarily about material things. That's a piece of it. But there's a lot of people today that are walking around poor in their soul. They're poor in their spirit. There's a lot of people that have have given up everything just chasing after Success, chasing after popularity, chasing after money. And there's nothing wrong with being successful. Don't misunderstand me. But, 
but if I'm chasing after that and my kids pay the price and my wife pays the price and my family pays the price, then what good is it? What profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so we're the bridge. We're the bridge to people, to the homeless, to the hurting, to the sick, to the poor, to the fatherless. We're the bridge to racial reconciliation. We are the bridge. And it's not just a name on a building. It's the church. That's who we're called to be. The ecclesia. The great commission in Matthew. What did Jesus say before he ascended? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the commission. To be the bridge. To tell somebody about Jesus. To love them. Here's what I want you to do. Next week is a big week. It's when we're going to take up the offering. But I am so excited about next week because we're going to talk about how we can be a bridge to those that are lonely. Being a bridge to the lonely. Did you know that you could be in a crowded place like this and still be lonely? Did you know that you can have people all around you and still be lonely on the inside? And so we're going to talk about that and how we can minister to people and how we can help people. So Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for watching over us and being with us. God, we're the church and the church has left the building. Father, help us to be that bridge to people, to tell them about you, to show them your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you. Man, look at me real quick. How many of you guys are, you, you got a spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, something like that? Come on, raise your hands, everybody in the house. Okay. Yeah. How many of you guys are in the triple S group? Come on, single, saved, and searching. Come on, let me see your hands. Come on. Yeah, everybody look around, kind of hope and scope. Amen. How many of you know your, your, your spouse sometime can, can hit you right between the eyes? You know, I've, I've had a busy couple of months just going different places and, and speaking in different things. And, and, and it was a really busy week last week. And, and I was complaining. I know that's hard for you to believe. But I was complaining. I was like, man, I can't believe I, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to get this message and I got to speak over here and I got to do this. And I, gotta, and I was just complaining. And you know what? My wife, being all holy, she looked at me and said, instead of complaining, why don't you just thank God that you got an opportunity to present the gospel? I'm like, woman, you, you just foolish talk. And I walked away. <laughs> but as I walked away, it hit me in my gut. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, old sinful man that I am. Think about it this way, guys. Out of all the people in the world, not millions, I don't know how many was it, Eight, nine million. I don't, I don't know how many million people it is. Billions, I think it is. Out of all the billions of people in the world, 
God could have chosen anybody to use, but He chose you. And He put you in front of certain people to offer relief and offer restoration, but most importantly, to offer the gospel. Think about that. All the people in the world, and God could use anybody He wants to use, and He chose you. And He put you right where He got you. And I know life gets a little mundane. Come on, washing clothes, folding clothes, washing dishes. Man, I was folding clothes on a Saturday. I was folding clothes yesterday. It was actually because I went and bought Lane and I a couple raincoats from Easy Bake. So anyway, but I was folding clothes, trying to make up for that expense. <laughs> Life can get mundane, and it could seem like you're just going through the motions. But never forget that out of all of the people in the world, God puts you right where He wants you to be. And He brings certain people into your path to offer the gospel first, relief and restoration. That's our job as the church. Stand with me all over the house.